Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Thank you for being here this morning to worship with us at the Vista. Uh, my name's Dave. I'm one of our pastors, um, and it's great, to, it's great to see you. We're in the second week of a series we launched into last Sunday, uh, simply entitled Grateful. Uh, I mentioned last week that it's my conviction that Thanksgiving is that one holiday that just sort of gets overlooked, right? It's, we're just in a hurry to get through Thanksgiving so we can get to what we think is probably the bigger and more important holiday about a month later, right? And so Thanksgiving is just kind of, we just breeze right through it. And what I wanted to do this November was just slow down a little bit and let's spend some time um, talking about the subject of gratitude and thankfulness, uh, something God calls us to uh, constantly as his people. In fact, last week we looked at, uh, we were really all over the place, a lot of text in both the Old and the New Testament, and we saw that it is, gra- it is, uh, it is gratitude or thanksgiving that fuels our worship. And so we said, listen, worship's that thing that you were created, you were designed by God to do. We were created to be worshipers, to give glory and honor to God. And one of the ways that we do that best is when we choose to live lives of gratitude, when we choose to give thanks. And so we looked all over Scripture last week and saw that it is a mark of God's people constantly to be grateful, that we're to be grateful people. And gratitude fuels our worship. Um, And so we're just going to camp out. Again, we've got about three more weeks in the series, and we're going to see what the Scripture has to tell us about being grateful people. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. So last week, we jumped all over the place, a whole lot of text to get through. Today, it's going to be much more simple. Today, we're going to be in one text, Luke 17. We're going to look at one story together. It's really an incredible story of gratitude and thankfulness and worship. It's also a story of ingratitude, a lack of thankfulness, right? And so I think we have something we can learn uh, from, from all the players in this, in this particular story. Luke 17, I'll read the story to you uh, beginning in verse 11. Here's what the text tells us. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So some of you have probably heard the story before, maybe read the story dozens of times. It's a really amazing story about ten guys with leprosy And Jesus literally heals all 10, and then one uh, turns around to come back to Jesus to say thank you, to worship, to praise uh, him. And I've read this story dozens of times, and um, I just wanted to take a little bit of time and unpack the story for you, um, and then let's kind of think about about some lessons that we can learn, not only from the one that returned to give thanks, but but some lessons we could probably learn from the other nine um, and why maybe they didn't return to give thanks, all right? First of all, uh, it says Jesus was traveling 
um, into this village. It was kind of in the northern region. region. Galilee was up north. Um, Samaria was kind of this land in the middle. And then Judea was down in the south. Jesus is up in the north, and he's making his way back to Jerusalem for the final time. And he comes into this village, and it says 10 lepers stood at a distance. We'll talk about why in just a second. And they shouted to Jesus. Leprosy was just a horrible, horrible disease. Um, It would take me a a lot of time to really unpack everything that, that leprosy entailed. I'll try to just mention kind of the highlights, but it was obviously highly communicable. Um, We know a little bit about living in a world with a highly communicable disease, right? Um, Some of you have maybe been diagnosed with COVID or you have friends or family or someone that's that's had that or through um, just contact tracing, maybe you've had to quarantine for, I don't know what they say now, 10 days, 14 days, I'm not really sure. Well, leprosy was so bad and there was no cure. And so think about not just a 14-day quarantine, which sometimes it's not fun, but we can deal with it. Um, Usually the quarantine was like a lifetime. There was no cure. And so think about that, being quarantined literally from everyone, outcast, out of the city, out of your, no, no friends, no family, no, no church, no, no nothing. And usually it was like a lifetime quarantine if you, if you had leprosy. Um, it was caused by a bacteria. It would usually start on the face. So somewhere on the ears, around the nose, the eyelids, it would start on the face. Uh, sort of tumorous growths would begin to appear uh, very unsightly. Um, And then it would spread through the rest of the body. It would become systemic and usually spread to the rest of the body. In severe cases, you could lose extremities, fingers, toes, could literally sort of be absorbed into the body and just be be gone. Um, It also affected the internal organs. I didn't know that. I always assumed it was just an external disease that affected the skin at first and and, and obviously uh, really, really bad. But it would get involved and limit the blood flow and it could literally affect the internal organs. And so as bad as it looked on the outside, often that same thing was happening on the inside to someone that had leprosy and had had it for a while. Um, It also could destroy the eyes, causing blindness. So it's not unusual for many that had leprosy to also be blind after a while. It could also affect the larynx. And so uh, being able to speak and project a voice at all would have been very hard, would have been uh, very uncomfortable People that had leprosy often spoke with quite a raspy kind of voice. Um, And often, because of the the open sores and the infection, um, those that had leprosy would also emit kind of an odor. There would be like a stench around those that had leprosy and in in leprous camps, okay? It was such an awful disease that the Old Testament had some very specific and very strict prescriptions for those that had leprosy. Uh, In fact, Leviticus 13 and 14 lay out sort of prescriptions for diagnosing it. And then once you were diagnosed with leprosy, there were some very strict prescriptions for what to do with people that had leprosy. And so often, uh, first of all, it was seen, if you had leprosy, it was often seen as a sign of some sort of sin in your life or the life of your family. It was seen as a judgment from God that you had leprosy. And so uh, people that had leprosy were often, it was just thought, they're cursed. They're cursed of God because they have this disease. And they were shut out of all society. They could not be around friends, family, anyone, anything. They had to go live outside the city in a camp only lepers could, could reside in. The only people you could hang out with or be around were other lepers because it was so incredibly contagious of a disease. And again, it was thought to be divine 
divine judgment from God. And so if you can understand just how horrible this disease was to live with, those that, were, that had it were just completely socially outcast. Jesus is walking into this village, and there's a group of 10 of them that begin to shout. They can't get too close, but they begin to shout, have mercy on us, right? Which is often those that had diseases or ailments, what they would, what they would shout to, to Christ. And so we're told in the story that Jesus literally, he doesn't yell back, be healed, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say, you're, you know, you're well. He doesn't, you know, rub some dirt on him or not. No, it literally says that Jesus goes, go show yourself to the priests. Seems like an odd thing to say. Go show yourself to the priest. But I would tell you there's a couple things going on here. When Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, there's some really important things happening, all right? Uh, first of all, the priest, they were kind of like the local health inspectors, okay? They were like the local health inspectors. This was a matter of the law. Again, leprosy had clear prescriptions in the law, and it was the job of the priest to uphold and carry out and make sure others were carrying out the law. And so, um, if you had leprosy and you were thinking, look, I'm getting better, you would have, you can't just go back into society when you think you're getting better. You, literally, the law said, go show yourself to the priest, and the priest have to make the declaration that you indeed are, are well. What's interesting to me as I read this, and I thought about that this week, like, if you remember in Jesus' day, the priests, they hated Jesus. The religious leaders, they didn't believe in his deity. They didn't believe in his power. They were constantly trying to make sure others knew that he didn't follow the law. They're trying to trap him uh, in, in, and catch him in not following the law so that they could kind of um, discredit him and discredit his ministry. So follow me on this. When Jesus tells these guys to go show themselves to the priests, several things are happening here. Uh, number one is he's kind of testing their faith. It doesn't say that he cured them and then told them to go to the priest. It says that he told them to go to the priest and on their way, as they were going to the priest, they were cured. Think about how that must have gone down, right? You're one of the lepers in the camp. You've got leprosy, this horrible, horrible disease. And Jesus goes, hey guys, go show yourself to the priest. Can you imagine? They're like, uh, we've still got leprosy, right? Like, this is not going to go well. But on some level, they had some sort of faith because it says they, they begin to go. And on their way to the priest, it says they were completely cured. On their way to the priest. So on some level, they had to have enough faith to at least start the journey towards the priest. And then the way the priests tie into this, remember, they hated Jesus, but the priests are sort of forced here to be these very reluctant, very unwilling witnesses to the compassion and the mercy and the power of Jesus. I mean, these are people that have leprosy that the priest and others had said they are cursed of God. And here is Jesus having compassion and healing those very people, showing that there's not some spiritual connotation to having this disease. Uh, in addition, I love the fact that they were constantly trying to tell Jesus he didn't follow the law. He didn't follow the law. Well, by telling him to go to the priest, Jesus is upholding the law. He's literally upholding the law. So you've got these priests that are just trying to get Jesus at every turn, and in one story, in one moment, they're forced to go, well, he's having mercy on people. He's upholding the law. I mean, he, they, they did have leprosy, and, and now they don't. So they're, in some ways, they have to attest to his power. I mean, this had to be really hard for the priest to, to swallow, you know? 
The very guy they're trying to discredit just does this amazing miracle in the lives of people that they said were cursed of God. So Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. As I thought through the story this week, I thought, well, what can we learn about gratitude and gratefulness from from the characters in the story? It's easy to look at the one that returned, and we'll look at him in a moment, and think about some things um, in his life that are really, really important, but could we learn anything from the nine? Like, here's what I started asking myself. Why would the nine not return and give thanks? It just seems like a weird story. I mean, you're literally just cured from the most awful disease of your day where there was no cure. And this man healed you. I I just sit there and go, how in the world could only one say thank you? Started thinking through some reasons maybe. And then it dawned on me that I'm not so different from the nine often. First of all, um, maybe they didn't return and give thanks because they were in a hurry, Right? I mean, they're, they're in a hurry. They've been removed from their family, from their friends, from all of society. When you go to, by the way, I read this week that when you went to show yourself to the priest, it wasn't just like a, he looks, kind of looks you over and goes, all right, you're good. No, it was usually a process, an eight-day process. You'd have to come back day after day to ensure. And sometimes if it wasn't all completely gone, it could require another eight days, and it might even require some additional sacrifices and offerings Uh, before you could ever be declared cure. And so it's possibly weeks long of a process to be pronounced uh, cured by the priest. So these guys, no telling how long they've already been removed from their family, let's be honest, they're in a hurry to get back to their life. They're in a hurry to see their family. They didn't have, you know, FaceTime, or even though they're in quarantine, they could be like, hey, what's going on? Like they, that's not happening. They literally could not see, could not be around their own family. And let's be honest, they're probably in a bit of a hurry to get this process going. Hurry is one of the great enemies of gratitude. How many times in our lives do we fail to be thankful, do we fail to be grateful simply because we just live life in a hurry? We did a sermon series on this not long ago, and you can go back and listen. It was Austin did a great job of talking about hurry sickness and how it really is a problem in our culture, a problem in our society. We're so busy. We have so much to do. And I'm telling you, if we want to be grateful people, grateful people, truly grateful people don't live life in a hurry. Grateful people don't live life in a hurry because grateful people take the time to slow down so that they can be thankful and they can be grateful for the blessings in their life. Maybe these guys were just in a hurry. Well, maybe, um, maybe they just assumed, you know, he knows we're thankful. I mean, this was a really big deal, right? So maybe they just assumed, I mean, we don't really need to go back and tell him thank you. He just healed us of this horrible disease. Jesus probably knows that we're thankful. I mean, duh, do we, do we really need to go all the way back and say thank you and then run all the way back to the priest? And so or maybe the one Samaritan was like, hey, guys, I'm going back. And they were like, hey, can you just tell him thank you for us? Like, we're going we're gonna to go on to the priest. Just, hey, let him know. Let him know how grateful we are, right? We're, we're heading this way, right? I don't know. Maybe they just assumed Jesus already knows we're grateful. Again, I thought about that this week, and I thought, man, how often am I the same way? Sometimes there are people that have been so good to me, and they've blessed my life, and they helped me, and, they, and I just often think, you know, they know, they know that I'm grateful, right? I don't need to tell them I'm grateful all the time. They, they know. Think about it in your own life. 
I don't need to tell my spouse I'm grateful for them. I mean, we, they know, they know that I'm grateful for them. I don't need to tell my parents how thankful I am. They, they, they know, they understand. I don't need to tell so-and-so, my friend, my colleague, whatever, that I'm grateful for them. They, they know that I'm grateful. And I, I thought about these nine and I thought, man, I, often we're the exact same way. Grateful people don't just assume others know how grateful they are. Grateful people don't just assume others know how grateful they are. Take the time to tell them. Take the time to tell them, thank you, I'm grateful. Take the time to express that gratitude. Well, maybe I'll give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe they just thought, I'll thank Jesus later, okay? Right now, I've got to get to the priest. I've got to hurry and get to the, I've got to get the process started, but I can always come back later and tell Jesus, thank you. I mean, I'll find him later. I'll find him later. I'll come back and tell him, thank you. I don't need to do it right now. I'll just tell him later. They sort of postponed gratitude for another time. And again, I thought about that this week and thought, man, how often do we do the same thing? We're busy. We've got a lot going on. Things happen in the moment, in the season, something we should be grateful for, but our attitude so often is, you know, I'll circle, I'll, I'll tell them later, I'll make sure I'm grateful later. And sometimes we go through life like this, don't we? One day I'll be a really grateful person. One day when I have a little more time, one day when I'm not so busy, one day when my kids are out of the house, one day when I retire, one day I'll really be grateful. And then truth be told, in my experience, when I don't take the time in the moment to truly be grateful, I often don't get the opportunity later or I forget, right? Basically, these guys, maybe they thought, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say thank you later, but, but they never get the opportunity. They never get to circle back around and tell Jesus, thank you. Grateful people, truly grateful people don't postpone gratitude. They're thankful in the moment. They're thankful in the season. They're thankful in the now. If we really want to be grateful people, we don't want to just constantly postpone gratitude for another time. Maybe, maybe these nine felt entitled. Maybe they felt entitled to their health, right? I mean, they're, they're good Jewish people. They didn't deserve this, right? Maybe they just felt entitled, like, man, I, God sort of owes me this healing. God, I mean, I, I deserve to be healthy. I deserve my life. This is not fair. What's happened to me is not fair, so I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to be happy. And again, I, I thought about that. I thought, man, how often are we very much the same way? We get the call, we get the diagnosis, something bad happens, and we think, that's not fair. That's not right. How often do we feel maybe entitled to our own health, our own, you know, well-being? Listen, I've said this before in a number of different ways, but if the fact that we're here today, if you're, if you're healthy, if you're remotely healthy, if you have a heart beating in your chest and breath in your lungs, it is the grace of God. It is the grace of God because you and I are not entitled to our health. We're not entitled to another day. It is the grace of God. And the thing about entitlement is it is not a Christian virtue in any way, form, or fashion. Entitlement is never a Christian virtue. In fact, Christians fundamentally are people that believe that they don't deserve anything from God other than judgment. Christians fundamentally are people that don't believe they deserve anything from God other than judgment. And you see, when we understand that, when we live um, a life where we believe that we're not entitled to anything, then thanksgiving, gratitude, 
becomes much easier and much more natural. When we truly come, at, come from a place of, I don't deserve anything, everything I have is a gift from God, then Thanksgiving becomes a much more natural part of my life when I'm not entitled. You will have a very hard time being grateful and being thankful for anything that you feel entitled to. Anything you feel entitled to, you probably aren't going to be super grateful for that because after all, you deserve it. Maybe these guys didn't return because after all, it was their health. They were entitled, but I'm telling you, grateful people don't feel entitled. Grateful people don't feel entitled. Grateful people don't live lives where they feel entitled. Reading the story, it can be quite humbling because often I like to think I'm more like the Samaritan that, of course, I would have returned and given thanks, but as I unpack it, I sometimes have to realize maybe I'm more like the nine than I care to admit. The one that returns. I love the fact that the story tells us he was a Samaritan, the one Samaritan. He was a foreigner. <clears throat> he was an outsider. And I've told you before, Jews and Samaritans, man, they, they hated one another. They practiced open hostility towards one another. They despised one another. The only reason this Samaritan was even around the others is because they had leprosy. That's the only people that they could be around. Otherwise, the Samaritan would have never been hanging out with a bunch of other Jewish people. It just would not have happened. So I don't know, maybe they're on their way and they're healed. Um, who knows if they had gotten to the priest, this Samaritan, the priest might not have even been willing to see him. The priest might have said, no, no, you stay out. You're not welcome. I'll see the other the nine of you, but I'm not, I'm not looking at the Samaritan. The Samaritan is lowly and despised. And even before leprosy, that was his state. And I love the fact that he returns because he realizes it's not just a physical healing that he needs, it's a spiritual healing as well. As the story wraps up, the last verse we looked at, Jesus says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And in the Greek there, it's not talking about well physically. The, the, same, uh, the same word is used in number, a number of other places in the gospels. And the way it's interpreted is saved you. Your faith has saved you. Saved you. Literally, this is a man that realized the depths of his depravity. And the physical healing was great. And he was truly thankful. But at the end of the day, he realized he needed more than a physical healing. He needed something more. And Jesus was the one that could do that. So he returns to Jesus and he falls on his face and he worships and praises and gives thanks. He literally gives his life to Jesus. This is why Jesus so often, um, he had this particular affinity for the lowly of society. Jesus was constantly uh, being accused of hanging out with all the wrong people. He was constantly being accused of hanging out with all the wrong people, right? The Pharisees, the religious people, they were like, man, look at that guy hanging out with all the kind of freaks and weirdos and the tax collectors and prostitutes and partying too much. And I mean, that, that's literally the reputation that he had. And here's why. Because it's those, it's the lowly of society. It's the riffraff of society that realized they need a savior. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. All the religious people, man, they thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm Jewish, I'm, I'm the chosen people, and they just never really understood their need for a Savior. And so Jesus is loved by all the people that the religious establishment said are unlovely. Again, they recognize not just their need for a physical healing, but their need for a Savior. And I'll, I'll end with this, this thought, but as I think about the story, the reality is this guy was not just a taker 
of Jesus' benefits and blessings, but he was a giver, a giver of worship, praise, thanksgiving, and a giver of his life. I think so often, you know, Jesus' blessings fell on a lot of people. His teachings fell on a lot of people. A lot of people got to hear and, and experience. A lot of people got to partake of the food that he provided, partake of the healings that he gave. A lot of people had demons cast out of their lives. A lot of people were recipients of the grace, recipients of the blessings that Jesus gave. But very few were also givers of worship and praise and thanksgiving. Very few were actually givers of their life to him in response. And again, I think the same is true today. A lot of people will preach a Jesus that gives you a lot of stuff. He gives you a lot of blessings. And we're all recipients of the blessings of Jesus. But the question is, are we going to simply be takers? Or are we going to also learn to be givers? Are we going to be like the nine and we're like, hey, I love the food. I love the healings. Cast out the demons. I love the miracles. Give me the blessing. I want to go to heaven. Give me, give me, give me. Take, take, take. Or are we going to end up being like the Samaritan that turns around and says, you know, I am a recipient of all of that. And now in turn, I want to give gratitude. I want to give thanks. I want to give worship. I want to give praise. I want to give my life in response to the goodness of God. Are we going to be takers or givers? Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for this... um, This really short story found in Luke's gospel got a story of amazing gratitude. But God, it's also a story of a lack of gratitude. It's also a story in which we could probably learn a lot if we're humble enough to receive the lesson. God, I just pray that you would help us again to be grateful people, to live lives of gratitude. God, that we would take the lessons from from the nine And we would apply them to our lives so that we could be grateful people. God, we would take the lessons of this one Samaritan and we would understand, God, our need, our need is not just physical need. God, we all have a spiritual need. We all need you. We all need a savior. So I pray, God, in the midst of whatever we may be going through today, whether it's a physical pain, a physical ailment, a diagnosis of some sort, or whether it's something uh, psychological, or, or maybe it's, God, just problems, problems in life, problems in marriage, problems with our kids. God, all, whatever the frustrations that, that abound are, whatever the baggage is that we walk in here with, God, would you remind us today that our need is not just that physical thing. That fixing those things on the outside is not going to be sufficient until we fix our hearts. So I pray, Father, we'd be like the Samaritan who understands that our need is not just external, that we need a savior. We need you to do work on our hearts to transform us and change us from within. And then God, may we be grateful people. We thank you as always for the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name today. Amen.